Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Strength to Strength. It's a blessing to see you gathered here this morning virtually. Um, our purpose here at Strength to Strength is to advance the Jesus' kingdom by assisting the church in earnestly contending for the faith that was once delivered for the saints. And we do this by having brothers come on and share thought-provoking topics and uh, share their journey into the kingdom. Sometimes we'll have um, testimonies and to teach sound doctrine that will be edifying to the church globally. This morning, we have three brothers sharing, and the topic is walk the talk. Um, and the idea behind this is to exalt the Lord in the work that is going on um, wherever these brothers are from. Um, our, our purpose or our goal here, first of all, is to exalt our King, Jesus Christ. And it's also by way of encouragement to the church to hear the work that God is doing in other people's lives, the, the advancement of the kingdom in communities that need to hear the gospel. And so that's why we have a talk like this this morning, so that these brothers can share the work that God is doing where they're at. And it is encouraging to us to see, and it's also an opportunity to remember these works in prayer, um, each one of us. I was thinking about um, Psalms 145 this morning. A few verses here it says, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise your works to another, and shall declare your mighty acts. I will meditate on, on the glorious splendor of your majesty, and on your wondrous works. Men shall speak of the might of your awesome acts, and I will declare your greatness. I think that's... Um, the heart behind sharing the work that's going on in the kingdom is to declare the mighty acts of God. Um, we seek to exalt him in the work that we do in the communities that we live in, but we want to share from one generation to another the mighty acts of God. So before we get started here, um, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Eternal Father in heaven, we thank you that we can turn our hearts and our eyes to you in gratitude and praise this morning for your mighty works. Father, I thank you that you have not discarded us, but you have reached down a hand of love and have redeemed us. Thank you that you have given us areas of work where we can pour in our energy and our time to advance your kingdom here on the earth so that your will can be done here as it is in heaven. I pray for these brothers as they share this morning. Father, be with each one. May your spirit minister to their hearts. Give them wisdom and clarity. And may each one of us who are listening be encouraged. And may we exalt you to hear the work that you're doing here on the earth in the hearts of men so that the powers of darkness can be pushed back and your light, the good news, the gospel of the kingdom could come. Be near us this morning. Direct this talk according to your plan and your purpose. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So first up, we have Brother Phil Reif. He's coming to us from Creole, 
Chihuahua, Mexico. And we do have a recording to play. Um, the internet connection there can be a little dicey. So he has prepared a video. But first of all, I, see, I can see you're on here, uh, Brother Phil. Would you care to um, introduce yourself or make a few comments before the video is played? Yeah, I guess, first of all, I'd just like to say thank you to Brian for the invitation to share and for the those who host this. I feel it's a privilege. And uh, at this time of the morning, 5 a.m., I'm kind of glad it's recorded because I'm not sure that my thoughts are together real well. But uh, yeah, there's questions I'd be glad to try to answer them. Um, but I think the, the video kind of introduces myself. So yeah, thank you. Excellent. Sounds good. We can go ahead with the video. I'm Phil Reif. My wife Darlene and I have six children and serve with a church planting team here in Creole, Chihuahua, Mexico. I would like to tell you briefly about the current ministry and about the vision for future ministry. Our family joined the team here in May of 2023. Creole is a medium-sized town, being home to about 7,000 people. The population is a mix of Mexicans, which would be a blend of Spaniard and indigenous, and the truly indigenous Raramuni Tarumara Indians. Creel is situated just inside the Sierra Madre mountain range. It is the last sizable town before getting deep into the mountains and is a supply town to many of the smaller towns and villages beyond it. Creel is also a tourist hub because of it providing easy day trips to attractions in and around the famous Copper Canyon. The main purpose for our team being here in Creel is to be a clear and consistent testimony in a community of much confusion and darkness. Part of this endeavor is to plant a biblically solid church that will Lord willing be locally led in the future. We as a team, along with our board, feel that a certain amount of integration into the local community is essential to this endeavor. Some ways that this is currently happening is by, by some of the team members is through a bakery and electronic store and a thrift store that is about to open its doors. One of the ways that Darlene and I have enjoyed ministering in the past is through food and hospitality. We have had the vision of using a cafe as ministry for a number of years now. When asked to join the team here in Creel, it was requested that we join up with the already operating bakery and expand it to be a bakery slash cafe. We have been excited about this plan and have been working towards that goal for the past number of months. We have been receiving direction and insight from Extend Cafes and with their recommendations and with the agreement of our board, we plan to make this a for-profit business that we are hoping in the future would provide at least part of our living expenses. We feel that this approach gives a natural connection with the community, gives an example of a Christian-run business, provides potential employment for locals, and contributes to the community as a whole. One of the biggest obstacles that we are facing at this point is finding the correct location in the right setting that would allow both the bakery and cafe to operate jointly. Soon after arriving here, Albert, our team leader, and I went out exploring some possible locations. 
The first two possibilities didn't seem like the right fit, so Albert directed me to a building he knew had been vacant. We found this old abandoned stone and adobe building at the edge of town with the windows blocked shut and a barely visible bed and breakfast sign in English on the roof. We immediately felt that this was a potential location as it was, is situated beside a gym and a small college, and the building being built probably around 100 years ago has some historical significance. We began inquiring with the neighbors about who the owners might be and were able to speak with an elderly lady who was keeping an eye on the place for the absent owners. She seemed so excited about what we were looking for and assured us that this would be the place to put a cafe. She let the owners know that we had interest in possibly leasing the building and they promised to come from their home in Chihuahua City about three and a half hours away and discuss the matter in the near future. A few weeks later, while driving by one day, we saw two men putting a for sale sign up on the building. We turned around and spoke to the men and they explained that they needed to sell the property at this point and that leasing it was not an option. They also explained that this building was part of an approximate three acre lot and was being sold as one. We explained what we were looking for and that we had possible interest in purchasing the property. They were excited about this possibility and offered to take down the signs while we investigated. Our response was that we would appreciate that, but it really was up to them. They removed the signs after being up for maybe an hour. They gave us their asking price, which was a bit disheartening at first. After discussions with a local realtor, as well as a later discussion with the owners, we understand that this was a starting number and that they are open to an offer. We also later found out that comparing to other properties in town, that the owners weren't as far out of line as what we first thought. After talking to a number of locals over the next few months, we realized that this former bed and breakfast had most recently been rented out as a bar and prostitution house. While being used in this way, there had sadly also been homicides that had taken place in this location as well. The place was eventually shut down and boarded up and has sat vacant for the past approximately 15 years. As we began interacting with the elderly neighbor lady who directed us to the owners, we realized that us possibly buying this property and turning it into something good was really important to her. And she continually assured us that she believed that God would provide a way for us to do it. We later realized through some other locals that this same dear old lady had worked at this prostitution house. As we learned more about the history of this property, we really felt a passion to redeem this place of so much darkness, pain, and death, and transform it into a place of light, life, and peace. After some time and much prayer, and with the recommendation of our board, we are now looking for one or two kingdom investors who have a vision for a ministry like this to consider purchasing this property and renting us the building and possibly some of the land. We are being told by a local realtor and also believe that this property has a lot of potential as the town grows and needs more land and that with time and investment like this could be a solid one. After almost six months of working with the owners over legal documents, property lines, etc., they're wanting to move this process forward and are asking that we make an offer in the very near future. When discussing this vision and possibility with a friend, he reminded me of Isaiah chapter 35. And in verses five to seven, it says this, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. 
Then shall the lame man leap as a mark, and the tongue of the dumb sing. For in the wilderness shall waters break out, and streams in the desert, and the parched ground shall become a pool, and the thirsty land springs of water. In the habitation of dragons, where each lay, shall be grass with reeds and rushes. Now, this prophecy of Isaiah is really a picture of heaven. However, it is also a picture of God transforming something that has been marred and is desolate into something that has beauty and purpose and life. We as Christians are called to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. Is this a way that God would have us be a part of that here in Korea? We ask that you join us in prayer for this possibility and also ask that if you or someone you know has interest in possibly investing into this endeavor, to contact our board chairman, Wendell Hostetler, or for more information, feel free to contact me directly. You will find our contact information at the end of this video. Thanks so much for watching. Please share this video with others who you think may have interest and may God bless you on your journey with him. Excellent. Well done on the video. Um, that is a beautiful country. And it would be awesome to see that I can see why it's a tourist place there. Um, so you just moved there in May. So you've, um, it's fairly new for you there. That's, that's correct. We just hit the six month mark. I see. How has the transition been for your family? Well, it's uh, it's had its bumps. Um, I think it helps that we did spend some time two years down in Sinaloa, Mexico. And that was from uh, 2017, 2017 to 2018. And so that's uh, helped us. Um, but we have twice as many children and our children are older. And so we have some of those adjustments. And then we as adults always need to adjust as well. But the Lord's, been, the Lord's been good to us and we are really excited about being here. And uh, yeah, we feel like he has work for us to do here. That's wonderful. Um, God bless you for your urgent investment there. Um, the I, I love the, the, the old building that you have a dream of, of starting a cafe bakery in and the idea of renewal um, bringing new life and i can see your vision with that and it's beautiful and i think it would be a powerful testimony to that town to turn that um that building into something that is such a blessing to the community um that's in that's incredible um I know you talked about it a little bit, but how do you see the cafe with a with a, um, bringing a kingdom in, impact there in Creole? Sure. So just the fact of having a public place where people can come and food always brings um, fellowship. And uh, so we feel like having a place that that people can come to and, you know, we we can get to know people. Um, in a in a setting where they feel um, comfortable, um, I think you all know probably through Bryant a little bit about cafe ministry, and um, so the bakery that we were hoping to join up with at one point had uh, served some food, and the community really 
really like that. Um, and they had to um, they had to shut that part of it down because of lack of staff and a few things. And it was just they had to move out of the, the building they were in. But there was kind of an outcry from some of the the townsfolk that we want we we felt peace when we went there. We we want a place like that. And so we'd like to take um take that dream and expand it. And and so um we feel like it's it would really assist in those connections for a church plant and just working in the community. Um so yeah, it feels it feels like it's been tested and it's it's worked uh, on a small scale and we just like to to expand that dream. Amen. That's awesome. There's something about serving people in the name of Jesus, even if they're believers or not, that is powerful. Um, I love the vision. And yeah, thank you for that video this morning. We'll open it up for comments or questions at the end. Um, so the next brother to share will be AJ. I believe he's sharing from Europe. You can go ahead. Yes, good morning. Yeah, thank you for uh, inviting me to be on here, Bryant. <clears throat> I'm excited to to share uh, a little bit about uh, where we're at and what we're seeing God doing uh, here in Europe. So um, it was also really exciting hearing from Phil. I really like your vision and really excited about that opportunity and excited about STEM Cafe too. So um, it's awesome. I think that's a fantastic opportunity. So, um, so I can give a little overview, I guess, of um, <clears throat> who I am and uh, what we're up to, and then I'll kind of dive into um, some of the things that are on my heart that I'd like to share. So, I am married. We have two children, and we're from uh, Pennsylvania, and. We are currently serving under an Anabaptist organization, Destinations International, um, to basically spend time traveling through Europe and investigating opportunities <clears throat> where Anabaptists are already working and many places where Anabaptists are not uh, working and seeing where are their needs and opportunities among refugee people coming into Europe uh, and also among European people and then looking for ways also to connect with uh, European Christians who are uh, following the Anabaptist movement or uh, channels like Strength of Strength, uh, finding ways to connect with them. So uh, the plan is to spend a year kind of doing this with two, three month trips to Europe. Uh, so we're just at the end of our first three month trip where um, we have about a week left. So. We've come through Greece and Italy and Spain uh, and visiting, like I said, Anabaptist organizations that are working here. And then areas where we didn't have a connection, um, visiting evangelical missions or churches. And because it felt like that was a good way to learn uh, about what God's doing there and what opportunities are there. So that's a little um, background information uh, for what we're up to. So um, I don't know how many of you read the title or description that I gave this talk. Um, I'll just read the description real quickly here again. So 
this idea of could it be time for the Anabaptist Christians to return to Europe, the land from which they once fled as refugees, um, and maybe 500 years or so later, not quite, um, there's other people now fleeing their homes. Well, they have been for many years now, um, but it's been in the forefront in the last 10 years uh, as refugees pouring into Europe. So how has this brought us to an awareness of not just one need, but two? So um, I want to talk about the first need, which I think is probably the most obvious. We think about the refugees that are coming in and the need that presents and also the opportunity um, that that presents. So I want to read some verses from um, the Old Testament that I think give us a picture of God's heart for refugees or the sojourners, as um, some of all different translations refer to them as, or some refer to them as a stranger. So in Leviticus 19, it says, verse 33 and 34, and if a stranger dwells with you in your land, you shall not mistreat him. The stranger who dwells among you shall be to you as one born among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So then Ezekiel 47, 21 to 23 says, So you shall divide this land among you according to the tribes of Israel. You shall allot as an inheritance for yourselves and for the sojourners who reside among you and have had children among you. They shall be to you as native-born children of Israel. With you they shall be allotted an inheritance among the tribes of Israel. In whatever tribe the sojourner resides, there you shall assign him his inheritance, declares the Lord God. So I think these passages give us, um, there's other passages as well that God talks about the sojourner and gives us a picture of his heart for uh, people who um, have had to flee from their homes for one reason or another, or were pushed out. Um, and so this made me think, uh, especially the line where he says, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. So if I think of our Anabaptist people and the Anabaptist forefathers, uh, it made me, it just reminded me that, okay, maybe we have a similar, um, we have a similar history of, He's, he's kind of calling them back to this idea that uh, care for the sojourners because you were at one time. Um, so if we look back over the history of the Anabaptists, we have that same, uh, we have that same lineage um, and same thing to, to look back on. So um, I, I want to think also of our hometowns, wherever we currently all live. Um, are there sojourners or refugees that um, live near us, and do we treat them as our own family? Uh, and that was a very challenging thought to me. Um, I think it's important for us to think about what is God's heart for the sojourner, and is my heart the same as the Father's heart? So uh, that's just a little bit of an inspiration for um, God's heart for refugees. So when we think of refugees moving to Europe, I think a lot of us probably picture Greece as a primary entry point. Uh, and I think a lot of that comes from uh, back in 2015, there was 800,000 or so refugees that entered Greece. And um, it's slowly tapered off after that. Uh, more recently, it, the numbers are not that high, but they're the highest they've been in the last couple of years. Um, so this, this is continuing to happen. Um, and with 
what's happening now in the Middle East. I won't be surprised if this continues uh, to expand. So um, as we think about Greece, there's a passage in um, Acts 17 where Paul uh, preaches the sermon that we refer to as the Sermon on Mars Hill. So I just want to read that for us because there's some really interesting things in this um, that have been impactful to me. So um, Paul is there in Athens. And uh, if if any of you have been to Athens in the last number of years, um, Athens is a place where there's many, many refugees um, that are kind of on their way to a better uh, life, hopefully in Europe. That's their hope. And so picturing what Athens is today, uh, and then thinking about this sermon that he preached. Um, so he says, men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you, God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands, as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made, and this is a verse I want us to pay attention to, and he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth, and he has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art or man's devising. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. Um, so anyway, it's a very powerful sermon, and uh, it's really neat to read this, picturing uh, Athens, even picturing Athens today. Um, and I think the verses, the parts that really stand out to me is where he says that he predetermines, or he determines the pre-appointed times in the boundaries of people's dwelling. So God knows when um, people are fleeing. God, We know that God cares. We know his heart for the sojourners. Um, and it says that this is so that they should seek the Lord and hope that they might grope for him and find him. Um, so I think it's um, this is an obvious need to help these sojourners in physical ways, but I think it's also a tremendous opportunity to for these people to seek God and to find him. And I think God wants to use his people um, to plant seeds and shine his light. So um, during our travels, we were really encouraged um, during our few weeks that we spent in Greece. There are some Anabaptist people there working to meet people's physical needs, and they're also able to be a light uh, of Christ and plant seeds that are bringing forth fruit. And um, very few of these people that were staying in Greece Many of them are moving to other countries in Europe. So that has been uh, one of our main motivations for uh, this trip to see where are these people moving to um, and are there ways that God wants to um, raise up more workers to continue following up and um, 
discipling new believers. So, um, so that's the, the one need that's maybe more obvious. And I think, and this is what brings us to an awareness of another need. And so I want to spend some time talking about that. So I'll tell just a, a quick story of our, um, of an experience last winter that shed some light on this. So last winter, our family was in Germany with um, serving with an Anabaptist organization that uh, has been there for just a couple of years. And uh, it is an effort to continue to bring hope to refugees there. So we were there for three months. And during our time, um, we wanted to go and visit Italy and see uh, what God is doing there and what opportunities might be there. So we went down there for a weekend and connected with some people working in Northern Italy. And um, we were just asking them, you know, what is what is it like here? And um, what's the state of Christianity in Italy? And so they were sharing with us some things about that. And one of the things he mentioned, he was like, you know, Italy, this was a um, an American missionary living there and He's like, Italy is part of the 1040 window. And I was like, oh, I didn't, I never really thought of it that way. Um, so the Southern part of Italy is. And then he said, it's also, he said, um, depending how you define an unreached people group, he said, it's only 1.5% evangelical Christian. So a lot of people, uh, miss, missiologists will say, you know, if it's less than 2%, um, they'll consider it an unreached people group. So we don't usually think of Italy in that way and, or Europe in that way. Um, so that kind of, it didn't hit me immediately. Um, but later on, as I talked with more people, um, that became impactful to me because one of the questions that we started asking ourselves in Germany as we were there is, uh, being there just for a short time, we didn't speak German fluently. Um, we learned a little bit just to get around. <laughs> um, and then, these people that are coming in don't speak uh well some of them are learning german most of them actually spoke german much better than us depending how long they had been there but uh most of them don't speak english they come with their own heart language and so we kind of asked ourselves the question so wait why would we be here there's refugees in our hometown uh where we live and uh, we know the language there and the culture and we'd be much better equipped to help them there um so as I pondered that and what this uh, fellow from Italy shared with me, I think it kind of answered that question in my mind of, okay, this is this is why maybe God wants more workers here is because there's not very many Christians here. Um, so I share that um, just as a little, that's been a piece of our journey that has inspired us uh, in this work. And then um, Destinations International has um encouraged us and is walking alongside of us as we uh, pursue this. So um, I'll just share some statistics about a couple countries um, that we've visited to give you some perspective. So in Greece, uh, this year to date, there's been 40,000 um, refugees, a little under that, I think, um, but about that. And Greece is 0.5% evangelical Christian. So very few Christians in Greece. Uh, Italy um, has had 140,000 year to date. Um, so I was actually very surprised by that. Um, Greece has kind of been at the forefront because of the large crisis back in 2015. Um, but over the years, Italy 
uh, in at least the last several years, Italy regularly has more incoming than Greece does. And then um, Italy, like I mentioned, is one and a half percent evangelical Christian. And then Spain uh, is about the same number year to date as Greece and also about 1.5% evangelical Christian. So I started researching other countries in Europe and like uh, what what's the state of Christianity there? And uh, I think one of the higher numbers I saw was like 4% or something. Uh, I didn't look every country up yet, but very low numbers. Germany is about 2%, maybe just a little bit over. So um, this is kind of what brought us to realize that there's a need here, not just to reach um, people that are coming in that haven't been exposed to the gospel, but there's people here and a whole generation of people growing up in Europe that are um, being fed atheism, are being taught, you know, um, things far from the truth and maybe haven't heard the gospel. So um, some other things about Germany, Germany actually hosts more refugees than any other European country. So they've been very open to receiving people in that way. And it's actually the third largest host country in the world um, under the UNHCR's umbrella. So um, Turkey and Iran, I think both host about 3.6 million or something. Germany hosts two and a half million. So Europe is um, Europe is predominantly first world country or first world countries. Uh, and so I think there, for some reason, maybe we, uh, in the last number of many years, we don't think of Europe naturally as like a place to do missions or a place that needs workers. Uh, and I think maybe part of that is because it's first world and a lot of traditional missions have taken place in places that aren't. Um, but we don't want that to, we don't want to mistake that for being that, for thinking then that Europe is also Christianized. Um, so it has become very spiritually dark uh, in ways that um, aren't extremely obvious at first glance. So um, I think that atheism is playing a role in that, why it feels so dark here. Um, several of the European missionaries that we talked to here have said that I asked them about the state of Christianity and the country they're working in. Um, one referred to it as there being a veneer of religiosity, um, where like there's there's elements that remain, but it's just a cultural thing. Um, but there's not a true belief in Jesus as their savior. Um, so some also mentioned uh, some seasoned missionaries that had spent time in other places of the world said things like, uh, this is actually the, if this feels darker than any other place they've worked, uh, which I found a very intriguing comment. Um, I heard that from more than one person. And yeah, I don't know what all plays into that. Um, but all that just to say that uh, if we were thinking of Europe as being a place where um, where Christians abound, it definitely is not. <laughs> um, so I think there's something unique about this opportunity for us as Anabaptists. Uh, I don't at all want to undermine opportunities in other places around the globe. Uh, it's not more important than the next place, but I think it's been maybe uh, underviewed or underlooked. And so um, that's why we kind of are asking the question of uh, what could it look like for the Anabaptists to take the gospel back to their own people, so to speak, 
back to Europe, uh, maybe even back to Germany specifically, a place that's also hosting more refugees than any other European country. So not that the gospel has been completely lost in Europe. There are a few, um, very few churches. Many of them are very small, even just house churches. Um, but there are Christians here. Um, but as we visited them, a lot of them were happy for uh, to meet other fellow believers and be encouraged. So um, we also met some believers just recently um, who've actually been living and following scripture very similar to Anabaptists. And um, so I mentioned earlier, that was one of the um, focuses that we want to try to connect with some of those people. And so um, God brought that to us and we were able to connect with them. And they've been studying Anabaptist history and following some channels like Strength to Strength. I don't know if they've been on Strength to Strength or not. Um, but they said to us, one of the questions they said is, when will the Anabaptists return to Europe? <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, I said, well, I don't know, but I, I hope sometime. Um, and, and, and in some ways, there are Anabaptists in different places in Europe. Um, but I think there's room for a lot more. So, so yeah, I ask you all to join in prayer that the Lord of the harvest will send forth more labors into the harvest of Europe. Um, and if you're looking to follow along and hear more about what we're learning, uh, we started a small website that we're just kind of chronicling what we're seeing and a way for people to stay up to date um, with what we're seeing and learning. And so our, our goal with this year is um, just to research and see what's happening and do our best to make people aware of the needs and opportunities. So, yeah, turn it back to you. That's excellent. Thank you uh, for sharing that with us this morning. Um, that is a new concept, I guess, for me to think about. The sojourners might need to return home and mm. share the gospel with their roots. Um, some of those statistics, I mean, it's, I guess, where do we get the idea that Europe is Christianized? Mm -hmm. We know that a lot of the things we hear coming out of Europe are, they seem to be ahead of the curve as far as, I don't know how to say it, but not being Christian nations mm -hmm. necessarily. Yeah. Um, that's awesome. So you're traveling with your wife and two children, you said. Mm -hmm. um, God bless you for that. And I'm sure I'm guessing your children are young. And yeah, they are. Yeah. That's it has, uh, its, has its challenges. I believe it's, it. Uh, kind of as Phil mentioned, um, a lot of transitions and. Um, but there's rewards with it as well. So. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for your commitment there. Um, I have a lot of questions, but we'll probably save some of that for the discussion at the end. Um, so have you, one of them, have you, you, there, there are existing ministries that are, that are going on there. So you talk about the focus is on refugees. Um, how much, obviously that's a, that's a worthy work to reach these people who are displaced and to meet their physical needs. But how many missionaries, I guess you could say, have you run into that are just there to plant churches and to build the kingdom in local communities? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so we've kind of set out this year with trying to have three focuses, one with refugees, one with European um, post-Christian or secular people, and then a third 
kind of smaller group of connecting with those people that uh, are believers in their ex, uh, specifically having interest in Anabaptist ways. Um, and um, I, we haven't visited all of the Anabaptist organizations that are in Europe yet, but um, the, the three that we have are or four, uh, their focus definitely is more with the refugee people. So I'm not aware of of the ones we visited. We haven't, I think um, some of the ones that we hope to visit are, are more of a focus on local people. Um, so, and I, I think it's, yeah, I think that's where there's a lot, I think there's a lot of opportunity on both, um, both ends. Uh, what it looks like to do that ministry, I think is a question we need to be asking. You know, are there ways to do some of both? Um, you know, as these people move into Europe and uh, resettle there, you know, some of them have been there for five or 10 years already, uh, and some have just arrived. So their children, you know, maybe are speaking German or Spanish, uh, becomes more of the heart language even than whatever country they came from. Uh, and so just realizing that it's something that's going to evolve even uh, when we think about learning a language to reach people. Um, so. Yeah. You touched on it briefly. Um, obviously with these workers working with the refugees, spreading the gospel in these refugee camps, and then the refugees going out and finding places to settle. Um, so that seed is going out, you know, to where whatever countries in Europe where they actually end up settling. Um, we know that God is faithful in watering and, you know, fostering growth in these people, but it seems like there's a huge need to find these groups, I guess, or people and encourage and bless them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's not an easy thing, um, you know, to connect with those people that have, um, made a decision to follow Christ or, you know, there's many, many that have a seed was planted and, um, hasn't brought forth fruit yet, but that seed goes with them. Um, we pray and, um, but yeah, there's, I think that's where there's a tremendous need and opportunity. Like I said, a lot of the churches that are in Europe are very small. Um, like in Italy, uh, the guy they were saying, you know, a mega church in Italy is 300 people. So, um, and the normal churches are, you know, maybe 20 people or something like that. And a lot of them are just meeting in homes. And so um, even for someone who moves on as a believer, or maybe they're still seeking for them to actually find um, the local church in their community might not be very easy. Right. Um, so, yeah, tremendous opportunity. I guess we say with Christ, pray that the Lord, Lord of the harvest would send out workers. Excellent. Thank you. Um, we'll have it open for questions there at the end. Um, so we'll move on to the next. Uh, Brother Earl, are you ready to share? I am. Yep. Well, good morning to each one. Uh, my name is Earl Rissler. I'm in Lewisburg, Pennsylvania, working at Transitioning to Phillipsburg. Uh, my wife, Lisa, and our eight children are 
part of me and um also in that stage of some transitions could really identify with phil and aj there and their vision and their goals that it definitely uh is a big interest to me but what i'm here to share about is the ministry that i'm involved in um and that uh come on a sustainable development solution and sewers market and to, <clears throat> to try and give some a little bit better background and history it's, so everyone understands where we're coming from um all nations bible translation in state college pennsylvania works at doing bible translation church planning and community development in areas around the globe where that is needed and sustainable agriculture solutions was started to help with the community development side and for the ag needed which i'll get to that but agriculture seemed to be narrow too narrow so we changed our name just this past few months to sustainable development solutions so that's the name that i will be using to make that clear up front um and all nations i'll be using abt but abt had uh ag zone property in state college that they wanted to build their office headquarters on and the township told them what they're trying to build is not ag doesn't work there so they went back to the drawing board the township told them if they build an ag building and are in, engaged in ag activity on the property they can go ahead and build the building so <clears throat> that's where sustainable development solutions sds was started to help with the ag requirements on the property there and the the method of ag that we decided to engage in is a csa a community customer supported agriculture where you get a farmer's box every week during the month there's a picture of that uh some of the gardens what it looked like that's on the property there at abt um and that was started in 2020 where the first season for the csa would have been 21. so after three years um this this model we just weren't gaining enough attraction uh the market was too saturated and we decided to phase out of the csa but as we were coming to that decision we were looking at other options for marketing basically we were at half the customers we really needed to have a solid uh business but we looked at sending stuff to produce auctions we looked at setting up a farmer's market or going to the farmer's market setting up a roadside stand and we came to the consensus to look at transitioning to an actual store with a market void of like a bulk food store as well sort of combining 
a bunch of those. But in, backing up just a little bit on that thought, even um, we took a, a year ago, we looked at the property, 10 acre property there. Um, and what can we what can we really do with this property? And the vision we put together is we would love to see this property intentionally developed in a way that captures the hearts and imaginations of visitors. We do not expect our exact methods to be replicated in non-temperate climates as in tropics, but the principles applied should be applicable to all of the inhabitable earth. We wish to inspire community development leaders by demonstrating what can be done on very marginal land. We want to turn visitors' gaze away from consumption-minded white vinyl fences and zero-turn mowers to the beauty of sustainable and diverse food-producing natural systems. So the goal basically to develop an entire farm into a series of practical and profitable agriculture. Um, so we set this up in a bunch of zones. We looked at all the different stuff we could do. And part of this vision was to use this for training community development workers uh, in different types of agriculture in small scale, nothing big scale. But we took a step back from that and said, well, before we produce any more fruits, vegetables, meat, cheese, dairy, any of that stuff. We're like, where are we going to sell this? How are we going to market it? And that's also what drove us to looking at doing a store. And then, and, how, and then, you know, on how does this store fit in the vision of SDS? So basically, we put a hold on that 10-year plan till we have a market where we can sell everything. So just to give a better understanding of what SDS is trying to do, and that that's <clears throat> working with community development facilitators that work in we're currently engaged in all the teams where ABT has members on the field, but we are helping them in training, recruiting, uh, supporting these community development facilitators, networking with other ministries, other community development organizations, and, and assisting in working on field projects. Currently, we're en route to visit one of those projects in Mexico and just trying to brainstorm and, you know, what can we do in this community to help the community? Uh, I think in particular, the dilemma we're facing there with church planning, that the men don't have an occupation that can support them. So they need to go to another bigger city or somewhere else to earn an income. And then the churches don't have leaders and all that. So we need to find a way that these men can support their families uh, from where they are. And then another big aspect of what SDS is working at is providing a platform where these field members can get into a closed country uh, under sustainable development solutions uh, working at providing access to places where they couldn't get access to as a as a bible translator
but to to flesh that out a little bit more to understand the I, idea of the store is to have a, a stateside business with principles for global application. So a networking model, working with your local growers and farmers to supply a, a store in the community that's very local and doable in any country, any community. And we also want to use it as, as a training location for community development workers. For example, business as mission, teaching them business business principles that they can also use wherever they would be going. And we're also thinking it could be a VS opportunity. But along with that, we needed office space. SDS has no official office space or mailing address, uh, a physical address. So we were also looking for that. And then sort of we want to really showcase or put put to action the things the core principles, core values that we are looking at, and there's are listed there. You know, one is local, family and community oriented. We're we're trying to serve the local community, and direct market, farm to table, fresh, and it's, it has to be sustainable. It's ongoing and reproducible, and it for fair trade for the farmers. The farmers have to be able to make a living off of what they're doing. We're not trying to uh, squeeze squeeze the last penny out them as get it as cheap as we can so we can make more money but it has to be a win-win for everyone so we were trying to wrestle with how this could all look and so sewers market we're transitioning from the csa into the storefront uh and as we were thinking about this and looking at you know what's available in property we <clears throat> found this property in phillipsburg which is half an hour from state college further than what we were looking for, but it, it it seemed to be exactly what we were looking for and needed and the a lot more affordable than anything closer to State College. So we have closing on this property the end of January, hope, hoping to open the store beginning of April. But with making that transition, it, it brings a lot of challenges uh, on the SDS side of things. Uh, this small building here on the right, bottom right, is an office building. And to set up office space there, it's going to take also a lot more finances because we need to hire an office manager, which is a need we have. We also are looking for someone to help spearhead the the need for visas and a lot of legal work that needs to be done for uh field workers to get access into a country so th that is a big need we have someone that has experience in working with visa platforms setting up ngos llc's all that type of stuff and then like i said the the finances to pay those people to do that so that that look is a big hurdle that we're uh facing in the next year and then along with alongside of that to the store we're envisioning being a lot more of a uh, food source where we know where stuff is coming from and not full of chemicals, not shipped in from multiple states away or other countries or whatever, but we want to have local production as much as possible. But starting a store like that also 
requires a lot of employees and there are no Anabaptist communities within 20 minutes of Phillipsburg. There's some at 25 and 30 minutes out, which is part of the reason we're there. But the need for employees and especially a store manager, someone that has a, a vision of how this can serve the 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 kingdom and use it as a way of the, pointing the employees to missions and using it a, as training for those potential community development facilitators and also to be a light in that community and a way of basically a business that is in business to make money to support missions not not just the fulfill the american dream of living a, a lifestyle like you want to but the idea is to make this business profitable but to use the profits to further the mission and kingdom that we're serving so the big need for a store manager that shares that vision and also a bunch of employees to work there uh, is something we're really needing And then moving on from there, the one way that SDS is looking at networking is what we have our community development conference. This will be our third annual community development conference on March 21st and 22nd of next year. And we are planning to have it there in Phillipsburg at the second level of the store. Uh, some of the speakers there are John Kempf, Dean Taylor, Raphael. And with what AJ was saying, we we are having a, a focus on, or a panel discussion at least, on 21st century refugee and IDPs, understanding the possibility and challenges surrounding resettlement. So there's a long-term vision we have of engaging in helping refugees resettle uh, is something we're looking at and exploring the possibilities. And then we're all, also another big vision that we're looking at and exploring is setting up a training camp uh, to for the upper teens, low 20s youth that uh, sort of like a boot camp, but would have a strong emphasis on biblical training hands-on farming, outdoor adventure, life skill development within an intentional community, basically prepping our youth to engage in full-time ministry and mission work, if that's stateside or in other countries, but setting them up for that. But this conference, there is a registration required and an early birth to the end of the year and then That is in Phillipsburg. Uh, info is there. I can get you more. The other thing we've been engaged in for almost a year now is seed saving. In any area, if you have land, you need seeds to grow your own food. So seeds are very important. And our our push is to educate people on 
why they should be saving their own seeds, how to save their own seeds. So if, if you have land and you have seeds to start with and you just save your seeds, you can pretty much survive in any area. So seeds we feel are very important and goes right along with community development. That's something that we have been learning and working with in the past year. So there's my contact info and uh, a quick overview of what we're engaged in, but a lot of new ideas, transitions, working toward a goal. Uh, and then along with that happening in Phillipsburg with no Anabaptist church close by, we are endeavoring to start a church plant there. We have four families that are we are engaging together in uh, trying to make that happen. But yeah, that is a quick overview of what I've been doing and where we're heading and trying to get done. Excellent. Thank you, brother. You have a lot on your plate. You also <laughs> are a family man, and it looks like you have a lot of irons in the fire. God bless you for your sacrifice and hard work in this endeavor as well. Um, so I liked how they got around the zoning there for the land by planting gardens. I've been to ABT. They have some beautiful gardens there. And uh, that's awesome. So the effort is to go ahead. Actually, something I forgot to mention there. Um, there is a need for someone to do some ag on the on the on the property there at abt that's something that um with the csa going away we are looking for someone to engage in ag work there in the hill and we can we're more than willing to help and support and brainstorm but there is a need for someone to do some ag on the on the property there okay. is that to help with hector or uh, hector is pursuing other things so okay. i mean hector would be more than willing to uh, come alongside and help, but he doesn't want to be in charge of it. I see. Interesting. I think we'll open it up um, for questions for all three of the brothers at this time. Uh, any questions or comments that you have on any of these endeavors that these brothers are engaged in? Uh, it's been incredibly encouraging to me to hear uh, your each of your visions and the time and energy and um, just life that you're pouring into the work that you're doing there. Um, so much to pray about, so much to thank God for, so much to exalt the Lord for in hearing uh, each of you share this. So I would like to open it up to questions or comments um, for any of the three brothers. Maybe while you're thinking about that, um, this idea, Earl, that you talked about of. So all of this isn't just to raise good food. Um, so what would you in, in a sentence or two, what would you say that the the goal of community development is? Well, it, it, it's hol holistic ministry. I mean, not to use a word that everybody uses but community development is is coming alongside people uh going where they are doing what they're doing but helping them improve their their life um be it clean water be it building 
houses, be it raising food, be it starting a business so they can support their family. But it's doing something that is a benefit to the whole community that raises a whole community. And while you're doing that, you're you're doing life with them and you're ministering to them and, and living the gospel with them and sharing that in on a day to day basis. So it, it's it's not giving handouts. It's not just preaching to them, but it, it's doing life with them and helping them see their potential that, that they don't see because they've been in that environment so long. They're sort of stuck there and they need someone to come alongside and and help them see potential that they have overlooked. Amen. So if no one else has a question, I, I got a question for AJ. Uh, in I'm curious in comparison, where where does the United States fall as far as in percentage evangelicals and the projector we've been on? Yeah, that's a really good question. I could have uh, mentioned that the U.S. I think is about twenty six and a half percent, and these numbers I'm sharing are from the JoshuaProject.com. So yeah, that's uh, a helpful number to be able to compare to. <clears throat> give us more perspective. Uh, AJ, you had mentioned that there's a website that we could um, follow your findings in your journey there. Would you mind sharing that with us? Yeah, I will. I think it's going to be easiest if you share the link. Uh, okay. It's a Google Sites, so it's not ex extremely searchable. Sounds good. Um, so, yeah, it's yeah, fairly uh, basic, but um, so I have some of those statistics on there and then uh, articles that we've written about what we've seen and there'll be, <clears throat> we'll continue to keep it updated, uh, articles from other people that we're visiting and so forth. So Excellent. sounds good. I might just take this time too to add, um, I don't think I said this at the beginning, but like our, our big picture vision um, and this is what uh, DNI is excited about, is to see a network of Anabaptist churches, communities, and ministries established across Europe. And so there are some uh, ministries and churches in Europe already, um, but to see where there's opportunities and to continue to create a network. Um, and to do that, we have a desire to collaborate with other Anabaptist organizations, because um, I think together we can go much further uh and so that's um kind of how this came about for me to be on here actually i before we left i met with bryant and just kind of talking about the vision and um so yeah I, I love to think of possibilities of even like extend cafe um you know somebody wanting to start something in europe and how extend cafe could lend a hand with that so very exciting it is I would just uh, make a comment. Thanks for sharing both AJ and Earl. And uh, Earl, just a comment on what you shared. Um, the need for community development, especially where there's church plants happening, is is a real thing. Um, and that that issue of men in you know different areas needing to go somewhere else to work is uh, very difficult with church planting. And so 
Uh, I'm excited about what you all are doing. Oftentimes, I think church planters need somebody to come beside them um, like this, like what you're doing. And so I uh, just like to thank you for the work that you all are doing and comment on that. Amen. I love the vision of we are here to share the gospel, but what is the whole gospel? This isn't just um, what can we do in our communities that will make the lives of the people around us better and touch them in very real ways. I mean, in listening to each of you share, I can't help but think of the life of Christ. He didn't just say, you know, I'm here to save you from your sin. He met the needs of the people that were around him. He saw the multitudes. He had compassion. He fed them. He healed them. And I see that in uh, each of your visions is how can we, we need to bring Christ, but what does it mean to bring Christ to the nations? Um, obviously, serving them a cup of coffee, serving them a meal, um, teaching them how to explore um, agriculture to meet their physical needs in the communities they live in. And you know, find, helping them find places to live. Like the list goes on and on and on. But it's such a a picture of meeting the needs of humanity on so many levels. It's awesome. There was a question came in on the chat here. Um, it's for AJ. Is Eastern Europe as unreached as Western Europe? And do you have plans to visit Eastern Europe as well? You're still muted there. Thank you. Yeah, that's a really good question. I don't feel like I have a really good answer for you on that. Um, we do hope on our next trip to get into Eastern Europe a little bit. Um, but I would be more than happy if if um, somebody else uh, also joins in uh, exploring and uh, doing exploratory research. Um, so we certainly will not hit all the countries in Europe. So, um, yeah, I'm sorry. I don't have a, a very clear answer for you on that. Um, but certainly Western Europe is, uh, is fairly unreached. Is there anyone else that has uh, questions or comments? Well, um, just want to thank you for the talk, all three of you. Um, and particularly interested in uh, you had to say AJ, and I myself am in Albania. And you mentioned um, some people. I think you who are asking like who. Okay, and Baptists coming back to Albania. Were they in, were, or to Europe? Do you, do you know anyone in Albania um, that, you know, any Christians or anything in Albania? I, I don't have any direct connections. Um, yeah. Yeah, the people that I met were um, originally from Sweden. Um but yeah, I don't have any direct connections uh, in Albania. I was 
talking to someone recently uh, who had a connection, but perhaps that was you. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. No, because it sounded very similar to some people we recently met. And there, there are okay. on. I actually met them through the strength, strength, um, WhatsApp. Um, oh, that's very neat. Uh, group, but and so we're here at the plant church in Northern Albania, um, and I think it's very important, you know, to find ways to serve people to, you know, make a living, and it's here as well as in so in Albania, you have the same problem with people wanting to go to the bigger cities to um you know find work um and so but i would say that you know we i'm we're trying to plant a church here and i would say that you know with at least in eastern europe you know a lot of places where communism has fallen they're sort of they've sort of gotten used to missionaries coming into some degree and especially you know so they hear oh you're a missionary um and they go what 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 faith are you um and i think it's very important when you're going to plant a church especially in places like this really anywhere that you're just think to have try to just be original in in faith and um i don't necessarily think that Europe needs more in a Baptist and these people who are devoted followers of Christ, you know, who mm-hmm. are just trying to be have original faith and make disciples, mm-hmm. you know, as Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. Um that was and so I think if people do that and without trying to preserve, say, you know, say the Anabaptist vision, there's a or the Anabaptist faith, as people say, you know does say there's one faith and Ephesians 4 and I think if we just um, give ourselves to Christ and just try to be faithful to that one faith I think we'll we'll come much closer to the early Anabaptists and I think than if we're just trying to pre- trying to model them instead of modeling Christ you know that's just mm-hmm. something I would say. I think it's it can. I think it can help us with reaching people, but also preserving the faith. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah. Thanks for those thoughts. That's really yeah. encouraging to hear from you. And um, yeah, I think what you mentioned about uh, Anabaptists is important as well. That um, it's. We don't want to think of it as something separate from um, the faith that is in Scripture. Um, But as you said, as we follow um, the teachings, that maybe will lead us, you know, to something that very similar in that way. Yeah, I would say a hearty amen to that as well. Our goal is to exalt Christ, honor him. yeah. It's encouraging to hear of your work there in Albania. God bless you and your your work there. Yeah, I appreciate your yeah. thoughts as well on the, the need for uh, authenticity and uh, being original. And I think some of these ideas that 
um, Phil and Earl were both talking about get me excited um, ways to um, if a missionary is going somewhere to be able to just be part of the community and uh, engage in those ways. So yeah, bless you in the work that you're doing and uh, may God give you his grace and peace. Yes, thank you. And if anyone, if any, anyone comes out this way, you're you're more than welcome to reach out. I'm on both uh, Signal and WhatsApp, so you're more than welcome to visit. And we could, we could, it, Albania and really most of Eastern Europe, all of Europe, as you were saying, really needs really needs Christians. Here, it's mostly Muslims here, but hmm. um, and we could. It could use it. We could use yeah. it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yes. Um, that did bring up one of the questions I had. Um, you, when you go into communities as a missionary, um, it made me, I had a question for you, Philip. You mentioned that in moving to Creole, um, it is a tourist town. How does that affect your relationship with the locals when they see um, Americans moving in there? Has that impacted it at all? Or yeah, so how how tourism affects uh, Creel? Um, yeah, a lot of people in and out, and so oftentimes people think, uh, at least at first, people thought we were tourists. They also thought we were possibly. Um, from the German Mennonite community, which is about uh, two and a little over two hours from here is the closest one. Um, but uh, yeah, as people get to know us, um, we, yeah, get to have conversations. Um, so I think your question was how does, yeah, how do, do all the tours, does the tourism affect um, our presence here? Um, yeah, people aren't as quick to ask questions as maybe they were when we were in Sinaloa, where there wasn't near as much tourism. And so we're really excited about the opportunity to actually have a little bit more of a presence um, in the community. We feel like that's going to make more connections, more authenticity. Um, and so we we definitely feel uh, a need for, for more interaction there, although we have begun some good interactions just in everyday life. Um, one of the things I guess thinking of our ministry, we we want to dedicate um, our ministry primarily to the locals. And so that's one of the reasons actually that we were not, we were looking for a location for the cafe, not right in, in, in central, right, right where all the tourism, where the tourism hub is, uh, but more on the outskirts, because when, when tourism is busy, the locals kind of tend to um, elude uh, central. We want to have a place that they can feel good about going, even when they're uh, on the big weekends, when there are uh, a lot of tourists in town. And yet we also do want to be available for the tourists. They will um, be a benefit to the to the business. And also we can minister to tourists as well. But we do want to dedicate um, this this vision specifically to the locals. And so that that. Uh, plays into, you know, the location that we've been looking for. And one of the reasons that we're excited about this possibility. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, it's good. Obviously, as time goes on, they'll see that you're you're in it for the long haul. Mm -hmm. um, 
you're not just uh, some other people coming in just to check things out, but you're there for long-term. That's awesome. Uh, just another comment with that. Just thinking about, you know, there's this whole thing of uh, full-time ministry, um, you know, how much we should get involved in in business and that kind of thing. But um, yeah, just from our previous experience and, and um, thinking about the questions that the locals have, they say, so, you know, what do you, what do you do? What do you do for work? And then I can share, well, this is what we're working towards. And we have had so many people say, wow, that's really exciting. You know, that this town needs that. Um, and, and they connect with something um, physical that we can do to benefit the community. Um, and so I've um, felt like that's really important that we have um, this goal and people connect with that. The community connects with that. And I'm excited to see how God's going to use that. Absolutely. You touch on something there uh, that I think is important when to be a missionary in a community and to be supported, which is necessary sometimes, depending on where you're at. It puts you in a different plane than the locals. And for you to be able to say, no, we're here. This is what I'm doing. I'm working. You know, we're pursuing this business opportunity or whatever it is. Um, it, it pulls you into their framework of relating to life, you know, a day job, um, providing for families and to be able to do that in their community, I think is a, a very important step. And I think that's where um, Earl touched on as well in community development where that plays in, where you become a part of the community, less a fixture in the community or that lives a different life than, than everyone else around. Um, I don't know if we can use the term to make the gospel relatable, but to live for Christ in our everyday lives. I think that's, that's awesome. Yeah. I I'd say amen to that, uh, when you're there working or doing a business, pe people can relate to you a lot different and you will be able to engage with a lot more people. If if you're there to say, be an evangelist, I don't know if you would say there's a wall that goes up necessarily, but people can't relate to that. So in business, people, are, you can interact with them. They're going to they're gonna open up a lot more in it. It, it, we are doing life together in a business. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that that's that's awesome. Yeah, um, we had another question come in here at the chat. I think we'll um, wrap this up after this. But we have a money question here for Phil. Um, if you're feeling free to answer this, it says, uh, what is the approximate value? in US dollars for the property that you're looking to purchase there? Sure, yes, I can. Um, so um, I should have my numbers beside me. I meant to do that, but I will go off of what I remember. Um, so the exchange rate is down in Mexico, which is a little bit discouraging. Uh, generally, um, it's been about a a dollar American dollar to uh, 20 pesos right now it's down at about 17 and a half pesos to the dollar so that really makes a difference when you're looking at a larger number uh, the prediction was that by the end of the year it'll be up at 19.5 um, started going up and I got excited and it's back down 
don't know exactly what what God's doing. But um, with the exchange rate where it's at now, uh, their original asking price is over three hundred thousand U.S. dollars, and that that shocked us. Um, but as we studied into it more, um, Creole prices have been going up over the last couple of years. There's a, an airport that's about ready to open, uh, which will affect prices more, we feel. Um, but uh, with that being said, we express that to the owners and and they are open to an offer. Um, so we feel like if the if the exchange rate would come up some and maybe we, you know, if we negotiated, we'd say, well, hey, we want to work with the exchange rate some, you know, um, thinking of timetable, that kind of thing. Um, we would really hope that we could get it um, below 300,000 is is what we were what we were hoping for. And they sell everything here is by the square meter. And so it's. 12,500 square meters, and they times that they were asking a, a little over 500 pesos a meter. And so doing those calculations, that's some approximate numbers. They're, they're big numbers. Um, for, for us, it feels really big. And for a while, it looked very impossible. But we began to share, share the vision. Uh, Brian Martin's been a huge encourager to just um, keep pursuing this. And we really have not felt a piece about dropping it. There's something, there's some connection, uh, the connections that we've had with the community about this property. It feels like there's an expectation, you know, the comment was made um, to our team leaders um, from, yeah, another family that if this place can be uh, transformed, it'll be by you all, by by the Anabaptists that are here. And and so, yeah, we our passion lives on, although the endeavor looks really big. But in the economy of God, everything is possible. Mm -hmm. Thank you for sharing that with us. Sure. Yeah, this has been a blessing, a real encouragement to me, and I hope it has been to you all. Um, I want to thank each of you brothers for coming on here this morning and sharing the work that you're engaged in, the gospel in shoe leather sharing your visions, and I feel like you've opened our minds to possibilities of service and needs that we can pray about, and I would encourage each of us to pray about them when you think about them. Um, we want to see the kingdom come, and God's will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. I wanted to read those verses again in Isaiah 35. I feel like they capture the message that went out this morning. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the dumb shall sing. For water shall burst forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The parched ground shall become a pool and the thirsty land springs of water. In the inhabitation of jackals where each lay, there shall be grass with reeds and rushes. I think each of us that have experienced new birth can relate to those verses, streams in the desert, life where there was no life. And I've been encouraged this morning to be that to the communities that we live in, to share that gospel of new life to the people around us. They don't have to live in darkness. 
bondage, sin, they can experience that new life in Christ. And to do that as I go about my daily job. Um, so that brings us to the end of our time here this morning. God bless you all for coming and joining us here. Um, before we go, um, AJ, would you uh, close us in prayer? Let's pray. Father, thank you um, for this opportunity to be together with brothers and sisters um, over uh, Zoom here. And I pray that you would strengthen each of us, fill us with your grace and peace uh, in the areas of the world where we're uh, striving to serve you. And we pray that you would help us to plant seeds and that you would water them and fruit would come forth. And um, I pray for uh, Errol and Phil, that you would um, continue to provide for them, uh, provide the staff, employees that uh, Errol um, and his team need. And I pray also for financial partners for Phil, that you would provide that. Um, go with us as we uh, go from here. May you be your strength in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Join us again. Same time, same place, December 2nd, um, we have a brother from the Netherlands who will be sharing his testimony. Um, Saher Haddad will be sharing on his journey to the kingdom. Um, he's actually an Iraqi and he's married and has a family and lives in the Netherlands. So he'll be joining us December 2nd, six o'clock Eastern time to share his testimony and the work of God that's been going on in his life. So you're all welcome to join us there again. Thank you all for coming this morning. God be with you as you seek to serve Jesus Christ in your communities today. Go forth with courage, knowing that the victory has been won and the provisions we need to do the work will be there when we need them. As promised, Go with God today, and God bless you all. As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend.